Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, the number one gaming podcast in the Nordic region. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the gaming industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Aaron, and I connect businesses with freelancers within the Unreal Engine and proprietary engines as well. Today, I'm joined by very special guests, Eric, Marcus, Eduardo, and Mikhail, and we are going to discuss the topic, what makes a great producer in each stage of production. Um, but before we delve deeper into the topic, I'm going to work away around the room and just ask for the best bits of advice um, from these talented individuals. Um, so starting with Eric, what is the best bit of advice you could give someone who's looking to get into the industry or who's already in the industry? I'd say make one. You mentioned, you mentioned Unreal. I think, you know, Unreal has become free. There's Unity. There's plenty of game engines on the market. Just get your hands dirty, make a game and figure out how it works. Then, you know, you can figure out what you'd want to do best. That would be my advice. Love it. Amazing. Um, Marcus, what would your advice be? I would say that. Then show it to everyone, and of course networking. So there are a bunch of uh, game jams, and of course IGDA meetings, and anywhere that you can meet the professionals. So go there and uh, show your game. Awesome, uh, Mikhail, your advice. Yeah. Uh, okay, if I do too, because uh, for the people which are just trying to join the industry, right? So uh, you have a lot of the free engines, as uh, as Eric already said. So go ahead and make your game for the people which w are looking into production. Make sure that you learn Jira and Confluence. These are the industry standard tools that you, you will need to use on a daily basis. And for the people which are already in the industry, please take care of yourselves. Make sure that you you get enough rest and that you recover. Uh, we know that we're all passionate and want to make the best games, but uh, your mental health and your sanity and your family is really important and in the end will lead to better games. Love it. Amazing. And last but not least, Eduardo. I think that um, specifically for production roles, or if you want to be a producer, a social producer, whatever it may be, um, my advice would be to come in from the side. So find a coordination role of any kind. It can be marketing coordinator. coordinator. Uh, I did what I did was outsourcing coordinator. Uh, basically, get in there and learn the ropes, and then you know you will work closely with producers and production anyway. So then through that, you get to know the people and then moving, you know, sideways or laterally to other positions is much easier once you're in there. So that would be my advice. Amazing. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. So um, I think introductions are in order. Um, so I'm just going to work my way around the room again and just ask, you know, who you are, what you do and how long you've been in the industry. So um, let's start with you, Marcus. Yeah. I actually working at Rovia at the moment, so I've been working there at the uh, in Moomin project and Angry Birds Dream Blast. So those two projects are uh, now out live. So please go and check it out. And before I was joining Rovia, I was a producer at Nitro Games, so they were making mobile shooter games and some esports uh, projects there. And I had a small company called Cluster Loop, and we were doing some. Uh, things for other companies at the time. But I have uh, also a long tail in film and TV and event uh, industries as well as uh, in the production. So in gaming, I pivoted like eight, seven years ago. So been producer since then. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, and Eric? Uh, so myself, I've actually started in business. I've got an MBA in marketing and communications. I started being a consultant. And after a while, I decided that I really wanted to do games. So I was lucky enough to join Ubisoft back in 2003. Uh, then I joined Crytek, then I joined Jagex twice. And I'm finally working at Splash Damage today as a production director. So got a passion for games. This is what I do when I don't work, which is <laughs> a little bit overwhelming. But that's uh, really who I am. I love making games, I love working in games, and I love speaking about games. Awesome. Thank you very much. And Eduardo. All right. So my name is Eduardo, and I work at SharkMob in the Malmo studio uh, of SharkMob. We've got one in London as well. And I've been there for three and a half years, working first with outsourcing, and then uh, moving to a production role uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, same as Eric, I also started out uh, with business, uh, studying business and then uh, working uh, in business administration and then moved from that to project management for uh, two, three years and then 
sneaked my way finally into the industry. So that's the that's my background. Amazing, love it. Uh, and last but not least, Mikael. Yeah. Uh, I started doing a lot of different stuff before I actually studied linguistics, and uh, then I did a bit of politics and media, and I even ran a local election campaign, which I'm not proud of. But uh, then I understood that gaming is uh, is the way to go, no matter uh, no matter about everything else. So I started my own company. Uh, then I got recruited uh, to join Ubisoft uh, in Ukraine. Uh, stayed there for I think five years, and then I joined uh, uh, Fancom, uh, where I'm working right now as a production director on the Dune project. Amazing! Thank you very much, everyone, for them wonderful intros. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, and Nordic's managing director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So and now we've got a bit of background uh, on everyone, let's just move on to the topic in focus. So everyone's got a question or a statement um, on, you know, what makes a great producer in each stage of production. So we'll just work away around the room, asking each of you to pose your question, you know, give some context behind it, and everyone will have the opportunity to give their take um, on the situation. So um, let's start with you, Eric, and your question, and just give a bit of context on on that, please. So the first question I want to bring to the table is um, like, uh, and it's probably a quote from Einstein, but it's probably you never trust that. Is you should spend ninety five percent of your time trying to define the problem and five percent of it trying to answer it. And therefore, <clears throat> my colleagues here probably would uh, would agree is uh, what is a producer. What do we call a producer and what is exactly the role of a producer? Uh, we've all been in the um, in industry for long enough to figure out that actually it can mean different things to different companies. There are companies that consider a producer um, typically on the, on the side of all the management side of things, which is essentially making sure that people know uh, how to work. We have enough people of each discipline. Are we you know, following the right ceremonies, the right methodologies and to to deliver our product in the in the time frame that we have and the resources that we have is you know essentially project management. The other side uh, is more uh, producer, as in music industry, which is essentially I am a producer, therefore I'm driving the game. I'm the owner of the vision. I'm the owner of what the good looks like and what is this game for and why are we making this game and who is it? What is the target audience? Are we going to make a great game? So production. Overall, can cover all of these aspects, and I'm I'm going to stay short because we will discuss on the on the details of that. But I think it's quite important to you know for especially people who are not used to the games industry, that producer could mean a, a variety of things. What I suggested, and again, my colleagues will tell me otherwise if need be, uh, is that we focus on the um, typically the the more execution part of the production work, um, unless you know there's there's other reasons to do so, because that's I would. I would venture is the most common way to look at it. Um, so one of the things I, I suggest is typically when I'm when I'm talking about producers and what they do uh, to people who don't know the games industry and who understand little about it, I say think of an orchestra director, right? An orchestra director is not exactly someone who plays the music. He's got a lot of you know almost hundred people working together playing either the piano or the violin or you know, whatever you can think of, he doesn't play an instrument, but without the director, we wouldn't have a symphony. So that's kind of what I consider a, a producer to do, is making sure that everyone is playing the same music to the same tune at the same rhythm. Um, yeah, leave it at that for now. Is there any comments from my uh, friends here to say, well, that's not how I see it, or uh, this makes sense? It's a nice no, area, I... like... Yeah, go ahead, Marcus. No, no, I totally agree yet. And that kind of a, the music orchestra, kind of a uh, leading the orchestra, that's uh, what we usually 
usually also use as an analogy as well. I, I really love the analogy, and uh, it's actually the first time that I hear this from you, Eric. So I, I'll use it from now on. Uh, I think I, I think another uh, um, another variable here is the size of the project and the and the company that you're uh, you're running. Usually, the bigger the company and the bigger the project is, uh, the more focused the roles become. So then the even the orchestra director might be split into multiple teams, uh, multiple roles and multiple people. Um, and I think it also it it, uh, it goes nicely into the topic of the of the podcast, right? It's what what is a good producer at the different stages of the project. I do believe that producer is one of the core people on the project and needs to join the project at the at the very start of it. And I think that at, in the first, at the at the conception or the pre-production phase, that's when you are more as a as an orchestra director together with either a lead game design, creative director, or the game director. Basically, you're your creative counterpart there, and you are somehow voice of reason uh, to the to the create creativity of of, uh, of of your counterpart there. But as you are uh, getting closer towards the towards the production and towards the live operations of the um, of the project, your uh, your role also changes, right? When you are in production, you become more uh, managing the budgets, managing people, making sure that everyone stays in focus, and uh, and you are uh, you are investing in the correct things and making the trade-offs discussion happen. Uh, and when you are at the live operation phase, right, you you need to take ahead of uh, of the marketing and the live ops uh, producer, where you need to talk to think about the budgets. Need to think about more the how to make the LTV formulas work and how to make sure that uh, you don't overspend and you you bring enough cash to to keep the project afloat and the uh, and salary stage right. So uh, uh, yeah, I think it's the it's from the orchestra director to a finance metric driven guy <laughs> something, and that's why production is exciting. Yeah, may, may I jump on this because that's that's exactly a you know a very good point you talked about LTV for those who you know don't understand exactly what it is this lifetime value. This is the kind of uh, conversation that you have typically when you create live games and when you create you know all mobile games that are essentially more or less uh, free to play and that rely on microtransactions to deliver and to make sure that the project goes on. You have to think about how how essentially everything comes together. At once, and the, the the details that you have to think when you're thinking about the live games may not be the same, right? May not be the same in terms of how you can actually think about this game is going to deliver all at once, or it will deliver it, you know, bits by bits. You know, that's a typical example of an early access where you can actually deliver something that is quite uh, low value, but it's as we call it MVP, so uh, minimum viable product which is what is the core experience of the game that players would like to experience. And you got players playing it for months, sometimes years, <laughs> looking at Star Citizen, for instance. But you, you basically have games that actually could loop forever and, and get, get to production, you know, over time. And you've got games that essentially are, and it's this typical, you know, historical way to do games, you know, they, they are put together in a box. And they're sold as such. And that's it's quite an important difference in terms of how you and you know when you talk about budgets, right, Misha? Because budget is established when you start a game of that nature, very different from a, a live free-to-play game. Yeah. How do you think? So, what do you think is the role of the producer when you when you define the MVP of uh, of a package product, right? Like the the stand the, the classical game, and how do you balance? And the, it's the question to all the colleagues, right? How do you balance this? Uh, against the creative direction and the and the vision of the of the creative people on the project, and how do you stop yourself or how do you inject yourself in the creative part of the production? So uh, I don't want to speak for everyone. So Eduardo, maybe Marcus. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's what I didn't uh, really have a grasp on before being inside the industry, um, working with you know software project management uh, and so on of course there's elements of creativity there as well but it's not to the same extent as games uh, as we all know uh, and the balancing act there it is difficult i mean uh, uh, that's something that you i wouldn't say we struggle with but that's just a natural part of the job uh, that's uh, you know it's uh, there's inputs at every step that are gonna shake up your process that are gonna shake up your approach and you have to kind of roll with it 
uh, I think the very very you know a, a basic uh, a requirement almost is to build a good relationship between production direction and creative direction, uh, and that comes with time. Uh, I think, uh, and I don't think there's a formula for it, but rather you know uh, figure out those relationships at the top and make sure that production and cre- the creativity side of things are, are you know uh, jiving well and if that does then hopefully that will translate to better processes that will translate to uh, you know uh, budgets that uh, are, are uh, used well etc but uh, would be yeah that's a that's an everyday everyday thing i think to think about the the creative versus the the square because i often feel the role of the producer is to be the square person uh, which can be a challenge, but it's also very fun, of course. Yeah, that, that's interesting. When you say the square, I assume it's the, the the person who's the most rational. Is that what you mean, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's interesting because it's typically why I wanted to to kickstart this conversation with a question. You know, uh, a producer, as understood by EA, would be actually not the square; would be actually the creative force. So it's really important that we always make that conversation uh, on that very topic. Something I wanted to mention as well uh, to try to understand, to keep answering your question, Michel, is how do we how do we transfer, or how do we transmit, or are we the the transmission of a creative vision to the team? And it's a question I've been asking myself for years, and I'm not sure I've got the full answer just yet. But if we go on on the um, orchestra director, um, uh, I would say image and and idea is the fact that you've got music sheets. That's something I've been actually realizing just a few months ago. Actually, the director doesn't, you know, doesn't say, hey, this game, you know, should be just like, you know, just like this game on that part. Or it should be just like this game on that part. You basically have got a music sheet to read from. Well, that music sheet has not been written by the director. It's been written by the composer, right? So composer is the creative, right? Uh, you can call that the backlog. You can call that anything. Uh, I mean, this is where the limits of the image, you know, goes to. But there's something that we all have to work from, which is unique. And, I, and, I, and I've been preaching the unique you know, unique version of the truth forever. And hopefully you'll join with me. It's difficult sometimes because a lot of people like to use a lot of different tools. Miro is a fantastic tool that has done a lot of bad for production, right? <laughs> uh, because people love working in Miro, but when it's in Miro... It, freaking stays in Miro and you just don't have a really elegant way to make it evolve or to make sure that people have the same information everywhere. So that's why Michel was saying very rightly so that Confluence and Jira are the tools for a good production to actually move on because it's database driven and you want to make sure that you've got one single version of every element, essentially which is the partition, the, the music sheet, right? So you want to make sure that you work with a creative forces to write the music sheets that not only you will understand but you will be able to make players play right and to 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 conclude on that analogy what i what i keep saying is i'm an orchestra director when everything goes well <laughs> when everything goes wrong which is herding cats it's more traffic warded in a, in a very busy intersection you know all you need to make sure is not everyone is bumping into each other they might know better what they want they want to do some things, but your job, you know, you need to go from the traffic warden where you make sure that no, no one is bumping into each other into orchestra director. You've got a vision, you've got a sense. You know the music sheet, you know what the composer wants to achieve. Be it Mozart from 300 years ago or being, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer from, you know, these, these days, you basically have a sense of what the music sheet is supposed to transmit to your audience. And there's no reason not to think we couldn't think about it in games in the same way. Right, what we what it's, need the language. It's it's yeah. It's actually you you got me an insight about this because what you're saying is what what makes a good producer is being able to understand and to read from the music sheet. Right. So you need to you need to be quite well um, versed in the gaming industry and in the products that we develop and the different types of games that we do as well, so that you can understand what the creative direction or anyone else to that matter who's who's writing the music sheets is uh wants to have in the end and then you you need to be able to translate it down to the level of the frontline people which are executing right because every game can start with a with a pitch with a with a really great creative presentation but in the end uh if the production is run correctly it will come down to like individual jiras which should go up as a as a holistic product right so that's where production i think is is really important to understand what's the 
product that you're making, that you don't become just a Jira traffic conductor, where you you basically just make sure that the Jiras are made done, right? Or that the burndowns are looking great. Uh, but at the same time, you, do, you don't have to be at the at the opposite spectrum where you just care about creative and you constantly change priorities and and uh, and cre- create chaos for the team for the for the good of the product, right? You need to be in the middle and you need to merge the the project management with project product management. And that's how I usually present the pr- production role uh, for people which are not familiar with it. It's like it's the project manager with a product uh, manager combined. <laughs> and you need to have skills from both to be a good producer. I mean, it's, it's a conversation that's been you know coming a lot, uh, especially when people come back to the office. You know, the pandemic is over, so people try to go back to the office. It's all about, hey, we need to be more productive, you know. Um, and I always come back, I don't care to be productive. I want to write, do to build the right thing, right? I, I'd rather have a team that is less productive, but that builds the right thing, rather than a team that is productive and just builds something that doesn't add up, right? So it's the kind of thing that you want to make sure, you know, happens in your teams um, as, a, as a producer is that you, you, you focus them into delivering something that actually adds value to your target audience. Not something. Hey, you know, we, you know, when you've got estimations, uh, it will take me six months to do this, and it's a lot of work. Yes, but is that lot of work worth it? <laughs> is it is it worth for the player to have this in the game if you know if it takes you six months to do it, right? So I, I don't know if you I don't know if you encountered this as well in the teams that you worked before, but uh, because usually in the game industry, everyone is passionate about the product, right? So. Everyone has opinions about uh, how, what's what's best for the game. You can solve this problem with this way. You can solve the problem in that way. And then you have all the people which are having opinions and uh, and want to push game in one direction or another. Uh, would you say that one of the other skills for a producers to have throughout the full uh, life cycle of the project, be it free to play, paid, uh, early access focused, or or whatnot? Is to uh, is to build the decision pipelines and to and to put in place the proper communication channels where people can communicate decisions, where can discuss decisions with the proper people, where all the voices are heard, but not all the voices are listened to, uh, and then the, the decisions are properly communicated and aligned between between the stakeholders. Because I, I I mean coming from the large scale productions, I think that this is a big challenge, and that's. That's where a lot of the time and effort of production is being invested in. I absolutely completely agree with you, Misha, here. That's that's why I was, you know, coming up with the music sheet. You know, in the fact the music sheet is essentially the decision maker. It's, this is what we're working on. This is the you know, the backlog, the list of Jira issues. And we understand what it means, but it's also something that everyone has the same, right? So the decision, as you're referring to, which is sometimes difficult, and also we've got agile to say, well, sometimes we, we change decisions, you know. One of the key things of production compared to project management, and that's why agile is such a big thing in our in our environment, is that you don't know what you will end up with when you start your project, right? It's not building a house, it's not baking a cake, it's not being done a thousand times. Every every game, as you know, even FIFA's are different from the previous one. And you need to think about, okay, this time it's going to be we're going to make that new, we're going to make that new. So you need you need to be comfortable or, or account for mistakes, uh, dead ends, uh, for, for things that actually will not work as intended because you just don't know what you will get before you start it and you get it in your hands and play it and say, well, that didn't turn out as expected. So it needs to essentially make sure, as you said, Misha, that you've got the right communication, the decisions are made, but when they're made, they're not forever because if the decision is wrong and you keep working on a decision that is wrong, turns out to be wrong, you're going to tank the game. So there's this delicate balance between sticking to your plan on one end and making sure that you don't stick to a plan that sucks. <laughs> and you, it's it, there's no rule for that. You know, every every single game will be different, and you'll have to work with your team, the creatives, uh, the art team, the QA. You know, essentially every discipline ever to say, well, you know, that didn't turn out as expected. What do we do about it? And to be honest, Misha, that's one of the biggest challenges indeed is to establish these communication channels that are clear, but you also want to have uh, or go beyond and, you know, sorry to introduce management lingo, but uh, have a good RACI. So for those who don't know, RACI means uh, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. What does that mean? It means that in every work 
piece that we are going to give to the team. There are people who will do it. That's what we call responsible. People who will be shut down if it's not done well, which is accountable. People who will be consulted and people who will be informed. And you need to identify these people clearly. But the, the key point of this model is you only have one person accountable, right? And if you only have one person accountable, their role is to make sure that everyone else works together to make sure it happens. Because if it doesn't work, then the accountable person should be basically driven to a, to a different step, right? So yeah, that good communication is crucial. But if you don't have a good racy, essentially someone who's the decision maker, to simplify this really, someone who's enabled, capable, and whose decisions will be respected, communication will just, you know, be, as you said, you know, uh, at the same level and no one will make calls. You need people to make calls. I'll stop yeah. here. I want to make sure I, we, we hear from Eduardo and Marcus as well. Yeah. at Here at Robio, we actually, in every game project, we have like kind of a game lead, a lead designer and lead producer. So it's a, like a triforce that are actually making the decisions in everything. Let's say that uh, uh, there's a, like a kind of a game lead has the vision and the lead designer, of course, designs the game and producer owns the like, production and the, how the systems works. And, and of course, that uh, when every uh, kind of, if there's a, a longer road that, okay, should we go this path or that path? So there are always like the three people to actually have all different kind of knowledge that they bring in the table and they can, and then you have three people, so then it, if it's going to be a fight, so then there's always two against one. So then that might be also a kind of a uh, thing, but that, that hasn't happened yet. So uh, always been agreeing at this point. And of course, that the, when you are doing live ops game, you always have this kind of a, uh, agile mentality and of course, A-B testing and learning at the same time, all the time. So that, okay, that uh, kind of a, so if you have had Live ops game already live out like five years. It's a very different market, and you have to adapt into that one. So then, of course, A/B test and data analysis is something that you always need to consider, and of course, analyze and make decision uh, taking that point as well. But yet again, analytics doesn't always show everything. So then, you need to have that creativity on board as well. So that okay, how can we even make this? needle or this number go up or down if it needs to be but that is always the complex kind of thing that uh what this triforce is trying to uh, solve at here at robio but then if we go down the line then you have different kind of crafts so then of course if you have a, like a level design and audio and kind of a expertise in everything here so then we used to have like a of course that there is the craft lead that can make decisions according to every knowledge that what he what she has at the current moment and then we respect that uh, uh, this uh, decision of course that the, and we trust people in our team of course that the, we try to make the best decision in every craft and whatever makes the best best for the game and best for the players actually so then that's how it's done at Hieratropia I think uh even at a more basic level, because now you've spoken about you know how how to make decisions and then who should be involved, etc. And and that's a complex thing. But even more, you know, a, a, let's say a simpler problem to make sure that everyone knows about decisions, because of course, especially in the beginning, let's say everyone is in the same room, and that's all good and it's easy. Um, and, but as the team grows, especially if it's quick growth then of course you can have decision logs you can have a formal ways of uh, trickling information to the people that need to know it but still it's uh, it can still be a challenge because it's the days are it's micro decisions all of the time right big decisions will probably be known and communicated etc but there might be something decided in this one group that has a dependency that you know no one thought of in a, in a totally different group and that's something as well i don't think you know we found uh, the way yet. I think that's uh, that's a uh, I would say perhaps a, a, a larger uh, challenge for us than than um, actually making decisions. What type of tools do you think producers need to know of 
in order to drive the decision making. So, uh, do you have any best practices and uh, and the things that you uh, you employ in your day to day to to help document decisions, to help uh, uh, push the stakeholders to make decisions, and to uh, to influence the decisions when uh, when need be? Actually, yes, uh, we have uh, actually done this kind of um, as a producer, so trying to make a framework that decision can be made. So, for example, that. For example, level designers that, uh, okay, should I make this kind of level or that kind of level? So there are usually kind of a guidelines and this kind of, uh, so how they can follow and which framework they need to, how creative they can be in this actually toolbox of stuff. So if they have kind of, if we take the music sheet, so then of course, how many notes they can use and how how they should be playing this, that, these notes. So for example, that the, uh, we trust, of course, that the level designer can make the correct correct kind of uh, decisions in in the long term and in the short term as well. But uh, so it's trusting and giving the ownership. So of course, that then the team members, of course, that the trust that they are accountable when they have the ownership to make their own decisions. Of course, there are feedback rounds and this kind of that. Then, but of course, that how do they will address into the feedback is also their own ownership as well so that uh, when when feedback is given so then of course that the, uh, am i going to change this now because i got this feedback uh, my level for example and uh, but the, the ownership needs to be determined and the responsibility so that's why we also list the responsibilities in our teams that of course that the uh so if someone is responsible to give feedback so then of course that the will that feedback be uh, that will be communicated but and followed that are we going to do or is that level designer for example doing any changes so then it will be communicated that okay i will do this change but maybe not that change so the communication is yet again a key here and yet again when it comes to this kind of a kind of a bigger bigger problems as well so then we need to have a confluence page that okay that when new joiner comes that have you tried this kind of a kind of a level before so then but then we have documented that okay we are not doing these kind of levels because of this we probably have already tested this out then there is a good reason that not to continue with kind of a uh, levels in the the future so always documenting and communicating these decisions as well i'm wanting to go back to again um um, misha was asking what tools and, and and I and I'd be curious, Nisha, if you if you found you know great tools for that because you mentioned Jira, you mentioned Confluence. Um, I've always found them limited for several reasons, uh, and I've been spending a lot of time over the years, you know, literally years, about trying to find the the best tools for that. I'm, I'm not sure I found any. Uh, I found some really good tools like called Fibery, or even I tried to use Airtable, which are very uh, flexible databases. So going away from Excel, uh, which probably a lot of people still use, uh, is try to find databases that you can configure in a way that allows you to manage your information correctly. Uh, and yes, we've got Slack as well. And every every, you know, every communication tool that you talk about, which would be either Slack or would be uh, Teams for the one where we're using it or could be anything else. So there's um, this kind of method that has been used uh, which is which is great, which is having a documentation Slack channel where you basically have the updates of people who have finished their work. You know, we be a level designer, be it an artist, uh, they can actually typically um, post, you know, hey, I've made an update on this document so people can actually see that and there's there's a, there's an update because if you update, if you, it also depends on the size of the team and what you need to track because if you update everything on Confluence, you, you're never never going to end. There's also what what can be done is show and tells, right? Where you've got a lot of people who gather, you know, at the end of every sprint to say what happened, you know, during the sprint, and therefore what do you need to know has been done. And, and this this is quite an interesting, you know, thing to be done because uh, people can see visually and can understand exactly what has been done, um, and that helps, you know, the communication between between teams to figure out, okay, well, that's what we achieved. It's it's also heartwarming. Uh, so yeah, there are, there are plenty of ways, and uh, the typical sprint review as well is one of them. If you do if you do them as intended, then everyone should be looking at the same thing at the same time, and this is a really strong communication tool as well. Yeah, I can just 
finish it off by saying what we use uh, and what started to work for us. Yeah, uh, the Slack is the is the bane of our existence. Uh, that's that I, I firmly believe, and uh, when once the team is big enough, it becomes a really beast which is hard to manage. But what we did is that uh, we have a few different channels for the project. So one is uh, is called decisions. That's where we post the decisions from the directorship, uh, which are vetted with production, and they are big decisions from uh, which are affecting multiple teams on the project. Uh, then we have the channel which is called patch notes. Uh, that was actually the suggestion of our creative director. That's where people are posting uh, what you said, right? So a level designer added a new thing in the in the build, or there is a new tool, or a, a feature changed, or a feature was added. That's where you post latest cool stuff to see in the uh, in the build. And then we have the sprint showcases, which are happening for the whole team, uh, and uh, and that's where 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 teams are showcasing what was achieved during the sprint, which which helps us align the stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and besides that, we for sure we use Confluence for for the notes and uh, and documenting the decisions. But uh, I'm not sure if if it's the same experience for all of you. But uh, sometimes Confluence is a place where documentation goes to die and information goes to die. Uh, so it's really important that you adjust your communication and documentation style to the uh, to the strengths and weaknesses of the team. Yeah, so, so is Jira for that matter. You can put a lot of information in Jira, but if no one is tracking them. You, know, you end up having a Jira with a lot of issues, but no one dealing with them. Yeah, uh, amazing. Thank you very much, Eric, for the uh, the opening question there. Um, really, oh, really. One. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. No, really, really passionate stuff there, and really insightful. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm just going to pick on someone at random. So, uh, Marcus, you've got a question. Um, so, do you want to do the same as Eric and give us a little bit of context on on what made you choose your question as well? Yeah, sure. Of course, that, that there were already many great answers already, but of course, that the, my uh, question was that the, what are the key responsibility responsibilities for a producer in each stage of game production? So then, of course, Mikhail, you already talked about a little bit. So, uh, how it uh, so for all my background that I have been usually been like very early on so when the project has been starting on so then of course that the, from the prototyping when the decision is made that for example that is it a good enough so how to balance the quality and the, actually the velocity and uh, everything that production needs to be in the very ideation phase and how to harness uh, harness that kind of creativity so when producer can say no to that we are not actually able to do something that even that we would like to do and of course at the resource management then so what are the team uh, actually capable of doing at the right time and what resources would be needed in the long term so that kind of so and how it then would be going into the pre-production so how would be like the green lighting for example a project in a bigger company that are we actually going to do this and so is there a marketplace and kind of a, is the market research being done and is there a place that actually that it can be monetized at some point so is there a business opportunity at all so and of course that there would what role the producer would be doing here because it can be a little bit on the game lead and the product management side at least here but also that what is the key responsibility for producer here and then finally in the live ops so of course that, that there can be a live ops producer and of course then it's more on the product management side but of course the, how analyzing and making the right decision what is the good and good or bad <laughs> of course for the game and of course how do uh, those challenges and obstacles will be then like move forward and uh, moving forward from those and of course that the when in the end, of course, for live ops games, it's usually something that sunsetting. For example, not every game is forever. So when the, uh, so how it happens after that? So is the producer the final uh, person that who shuts down the lights, or is it someone else, or is the producer already creating the next big thing? So, but yeah, how do you? Yeah, I remember yeah. something you were saying, which is essentially what is a good decision, right? And I think that's what producers are supposed to make. What What is the good call? And yep. we're talking about live, live games and sort of, you know, recurring topic and the fact that you need to make sure that these games have got the analytics 
you get A-B testing, you get sense of that. So essentially, in my experience, typically on you know, live games like RuneScape, you never know if it's a good decision until you see the players taking it on, right? And if you play, if you work on a, on a, on a game that is on, in a box, you just don't have that information. So you have to trust your guts. And that's, 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 a, that's a whole, you know, spectrum. I remember, I guess, we had these kind of things, you know, how, how you start the game from zero and you just have a, a pitch, a design document, all the way to A-B testing every day and making the right call. Decisions, whether the decision is good or not, there's some sort of gradation between the, the guts feeling of the creative or the producer or the team to say, well, we believe this will be good because we've got a sense it will be good because that's the kind of things we would like to play. But we have, you know, we've got a lot of friends who play this all the way down to, you know, let's release it, see how people take it on. And if, you know, you've been several years a live game um, and RuneScape is a 20 year old live game, you figure out, okay, well, there's plenty of things that people love and plenty of things that people don't love. And you have to actually adjust the fact that a good decision is just a decision that will make people happy <laughs> in your game, not a decision that you like necessarily. And that's a kind of, um, there's this gradation, this spectrum between the stunt game and what Misha keeps saying about every stage of the game, the sense of what makes a good decision is very different. It's either your gut feeling at the beginning and much more data at the end. And hopefully a mix of both somewhere always, right? That would be my two cents on this. And that's it. Yeah. I would, uh, for, for me, it's um, it's a mix. So th there are some things which are, which are core, uh, uh skills for the producers right so you have them on both on soft skills and on the hard skills right so for sure you need to know how to uh you need to know well the conflict resolution right so this is one of the things which 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 is happening quite a lot in the good game production is that there is a lot of once again opinions and there are a lot of conflicts uh small and big that you need to resolve as a producer and quite often step in as the tiebreaker and uh, make sure that afterwards these people can still keep working together and be happy seeing each other uh, in the office on the next day or on the team's call. Um, there is, of course, the, the stakeholder management. Uh, no matter the the level of the producer, even as an associate producer, you will prepare meetings, you will you will take notes, you will work with the, either the leads or the directors or any of the decision makers on the project, and you need to, to understand what they want uh, how you can give them what they what they want, and how to also manage their expectations and make sure that they are staying on track during the different meetings or or during the different discussions. The higher you grow in the production role, right, the more complex and the more numerous are your stakeholders that you need to manage and they need to align on the different uh, topics, right. And there is a lot of maneuverability that you need to uh, that, that that you need to showcase there. Um, on the on the hard skills for me, the responsibility of the producer, and it, it also depends on the on on what uh, what is the role of the producer in the company. Because as, as Eric as you said in EA, it's more of a development director role. But I think it's it's still a really good skill and responsibility for the producers to know uh, project management, right? And the, and the main the core frameworks, right? We talk about agile. Okay, so uh, so what is Scrum? How do, you, how do you scale Agile? What are the different options of scale, scaling Agile? What are the different uh, formats that you can uh, uh, that you can use to help you uh, adapt for your team? Because we never, in game development, I've never seen an extremely by-the-book Agile project or any other methodology which was which was used and, and well-implemented. It's always somehow a Frankenstein because you need to align so many different disciplines and, and creatives as well. Um, and you need to know the the tools and the limitations of of uh, of your uh, of of your technology stack, right? So you need to be a little bit of programmer. You need to be a little bit of artist. You need to be a little bit of a narrative designer. And you need to understand how these crafts come together to deliver a game. You don't need to be an expert in all, in all of them. Of course, something might uh, might help you some knowledge here or there. But you need to understand what is if you choose Unreal, right? What what are the uh, what are the strong points of Unreal and what are the limitations of Unreal? Uh, if you go with uh, uh, with a 3D artist, you need to understand how to make sure that you don't overcomplicate the rigging, right? How how you how you don't just create an extremely uh, great art, but you also make sure that it's optimized and you and you marry the artists with the with the people which are responsible for the performance. So so you need to also understand some of the hard skills uh, of the different disciplines and. Uh, 
and the hard skills of the production and the product product management. So it's a bit of like a what is it called like a T specialist, right? So when you are you have the superficial knowledge of the different uh, different crafts, and you have the deep knowledge of the production and project management craft, and still you need to be you need to also manage your own ego because uh, having superficial knowledge of art doesn't mean that you can be an art director, right? You also trust the, the the specialists to make the proper decisions for the game. Yeah, completely second that, Michel. So, so it's a uh, it's coming back uh, a tail end of what we were saying a bit earlier, where we say we need decision makers, but a producer is usually not really well placed to make the best decisions unless he consults specialists in that domain, right? So, your lead tech, your QA, your you know localization specialist, you know, God knows, you know how many specialists you have on your team, but the challenge of a producer, of a good producer, is to make sure that you've listened to everyone and you make the balanced call, but you don't know shit. Pardon my French. Uh, they they work day in day out in the in the in the in the build. They they work day in day out in their system. They know way better their job than you do. And your challenge is to again going back with Oxford Nightmare. You've got virtues. It doesn't prevent you from challenging them. Doesn't prevent you, but they know their stuff. That's super important. If we go back to the overarching topic, what makes a great producer? A great producer is someone who listens and who understands who's actually you know, on top of the game. Time. Yeah. To drop that here. Yeah. I think a, a, an imp- a, a nice tool that I've, I've heard recently was that uh, when you see that your team is naturally making decisions or you see that they're more reactive than proactive, uh, you start coming in and saying, okay, unless you start making the decisions, I will make the decisions for you. Oh, yeah, that's the scariest thing that you can think of. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and you just say, all right, I, w- I will make the decision because, you know, from my... Like, uh, no, 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 I promise. I will, I will help you. Yeah, that's yes. the, the right way, yes. Yes, uh, and then if, if no one is, is feeling that space, then, well, okay, at least you have a decision, right, and you move forward. Uh, but then uh, most likely a specialist will come and correct it. But it's better to have this and to and to piss yeah. some people off. <laughs> so, Dave, that's you know, I almost want to say this happened to me last week, right? You know, and, and very, very on the ground. You know, we had to make a decision. And it was kind of spin a few days where people were kind of going there, going there, and, and one of the things that I basically said, well, we will do that, right? And I basically, this is the decision we'll make. And people jumped in and said, ah, no, that's not a good decision because this, because that. And you figure out, well, okay, I'm going to take the time to discuss that and. I had to change the decision based on the feedback I got from the lead tech, and basically it helped everyone feel, you know, better about the decision being made in the end, because it was made with the correct, you know, understanding of what it takes. So yeah, that's that's the that's the challenge we always have is to make sure that decisions are made, you know, with the right people who know what they're talking about, and that's yeah, that's not always easy because. When the decision has to be made in a timely fashion, uh, forcing the decision and and having people who basically say, "Well, that was a bad decision," is probably better than having no decision at all. As long as you're able to actually listen to your specialist and say, "Well, it was wrong, but something needed to be done." But I'm happy to correct it because you know your job. And that's the kind of things I, you know, I think a good producer. Again, I'm not a good producer, but a good producer shouldn't do. I think that's totally right. I really agree. I think it's. That's the one way that we usually uh, describe producers is unblockers, right? You unblock things. Uh, sometimes, you know, things will get in a rut or it's a tough decision to make. So it will be, you know, circling around and not let's involve that person or that person. Uh, I think it's an important role for the producer to be that person kind of removing that roadblock and making sure, okay, we get some traction, even if, like you say, perhaps it's not, it's not the optimal decision, but it's a uh, decision. Uh, yeah. And to be pragmatic. As well, uh, you know, uh, we're the go back to what I said before. We're sometimes the square ones, right? So the square people, but you need to have a, that be able to shift your approach to adapt uh, to the different groups and how people make decisions and so on. So uh, I think that's a really, uh, really key. Amazing stuff, Marcus. Thank you very much um, for your question uh, on that one again. Um, a lot of great inputs there from from everyone. Um, so again, at random, um, I'm going to pick on you, Eduardo, and your question. And if you could just, again, just give us some context and, and lead with that. For sure. So, um, I think, um, an interesting way to discuss the role of uh, producers or production is to think of sort of the four areas, which we've touched on already, but it's, you know, like process, uh, people, uh, product and tech. 
And I think all producers care about all of those areas, but what differs really is to what extent, right? And then how much time you spend in, in different ones, etc. But uh, one area which I, have, I guess we haven't spoken so much is people. So my question is related to that. So do you think that producers should have people responsibility? So they should have not only, let's say, associate producers and so on, which makes sense, but should producers have leads uh, as direct reports? So having, you know, the lead pro a lead programmer uh, reporting directly to a producer, lead designer, etc. Or, or would it, or, or uh, do you think it should fall under, uh, you know, be it a people manager, a director, everything else? And the background to to that is, uh, in my role so far, we have had it that way that it, we have direct reports and we have those leads directly reporting to producers. I think the benefits of that, uh, there are some really strong benefits to that, really, uh, because uh, you're going to be working together so much anyway. Uh, you're in their day, you're in their day in, day out, solving problems and basically making making the game right. Uh, so when you shifting the hat from let's say okay now i'm a producer and you're a lead and shifting that to okay now i'm your manager let's discuss your personal development i think it's quite easy in a way because you know so much about the person how you know what makes them tick etc um so having that uh, has been quite beneficial but at the same time uh, when you grow the organizations and, and so on you end up having a lot of people uh, perhaps because you don't have so many producers uh, and then you know splitting your time if you focus a lot on the people aspect of course the process the product and everything else uh, might uh, might suffer uh, so i don't know really where i stand about that um, but uh, i would be be really interested to hear what your experiences are and if you think that it is a good idea for producers to have a lot of people responsibility in that way well uh, I like to say that there are two schools, really. Simply, uh, I mentioned a bit earlier that we used to be a consultant. That's what consulting usually does, is to say, you focus your team about the deliverables. Kind of what the agile approach is, is to say, hey, we're making a game, so let's have all people in the same team with uh, different disciplines working together towards the same game. Um, the, 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 the other approach is to say, hey, we're all disciplines, you know, we've got specialists in all domains and we want to make sure that these specialists are taken care of. And you've got essentially all the artists, um, you know, report to the lead artist and all the, you know, all the uh, animators report to the lead animators and so on and so on. And that's, that's an interesting thing because it's, it's, it's two different approaches, really. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, since we can have opinions there, uh, obviously, favor the one you described Eduardo, which the one that you have, which is in essence collating, you know, a team which is multidisciplinary into delivering one game. Because a game is not just not going to be the, the, the art. It's not going to be just the code. It's not going to be just the, the QA. It's going to be a combination of that, which makes sense again to have people working towards the same goal. And if you've got a producer, you know, who's also the line manager of the leads, then you can actually tie performance with the performance of the project itself, which is not something it is as easy to do when the line manager of an artist or the, the programmer or something is someone who say, well, do you, did you create great code? Yes, they will look at great code. Did you do that? But they will not tie the performance of the individual to the performance of the project itself because that's not their job. They will tie the performance of the individual in their own specialty, in their own discipline. So opinionated here as i am is i definitely favor i've got two you know two sides even in the same company for that matter uh but i do prefer indeed when when the production is actually the line management of the entire team because again going back to if this image works well for everyone the orchestra director is just making sure that everyone is in is in sync right if you if you have this opportunity to say hey your promotion your your you know, your well-being, all of everything that needs to happen is going to be linked to you, to whether we make a good game or not, whether we play a great symphony or not. It's not about whether you're a great violin player or whether you're a great piano player. It's about does it fit in the symphony. And, you know, that that's that's where it feels is really crucial to have, an, uh, you know, I would say first producers do not have a specific preference because we don't know code better than we know art or we know don't know design better than we know uh, audio and these kind of things, 
Therefore, we don't really have a prejudice about how we want to to encourage everyone, but we do have a focus on whether this team delivers. And one last thing I want to add before, you know, of course, everyone can chime in is, I think you were, your question is fantastic. Producers is 99% people's work, right? Uh, we can talk about tools and communications, about responsibilities, about backlogs, all we want. If we are not know working well with people we're not going to fare well that's really 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 crucial and i think it's important to to always keep that in mind is the mental health the well-being of 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 people but also the pressure that we can you know constructively apply to teams to say well you didn't deliver well so let's try to figure out do a retrospective try to figure out how to motivate put the same amount of pressure into a team to deliver better it's all you know tools that's what producers should uh, should use um, correctly. That's my two cents. It's interesting. I worked in both comp- in both ways. Right? So I, I worked in the company where uh, producer was the line manager of the leads, and uh, the people which did not have leads in, on the project were reporting to the producer as well. And uh, and where the producers are only managing the the producers and the production job finally. Um, I can for sure say that in the when the producers are only managing the producers, it's much harder to create the cross-disciplinary teams which are more aligned with the agile uh, methodology. It's not impossible, right? Because you still can put everyone uh, together in a team, have the producer and the uh, designer or whatever is the structure to own the full team. But then you lose this moment where you have your your personal manager is somewhat can be outside of this team and it creates uh, more more strain on the or on the organizational structure of the company. Uh, so in the ideal world, I would say that the producers need to be the line managers of the leads and the people inside their team. Uh, however, it also goes back to the company that you have the, the processes and the and the producers themselves, right? Uh, so for some people, it might be still challenging to, to manage the uh, some senior people, right? Uh, you, you cannot put an associate producer Sometimes to manage like a lead coder with uh, with many years of experience and when associate producer was just one year, right? So it's important that you always look at the team and at the and the structure and make sure that it works well for the team. Um, uh, but yeah, in the ideal world, I I, I my my uh, my bet is on producers with uh, which are the line managers for everyone. Yeah, I would agree on that one as well. As I been working on different stages of the game development so from the ideation to all the way to live up so then of course that when the team size is of course different so then of course at the trovio we have kind of game teams so individual teams for each game but then of course that the, how the producers are then syncing between the games that of course that can be learned from the different projects then uh, uh, if the AB testing has been done already in the different projects. So how would be that would be working in the different games in different times. But also like uh, when getting to the point, so then of course producer uh, when uh, is involved uh, in many, many places already. So then uh, as the producer needs to have that vision and that everybody goes in the same target. But when the team size is growing, so then of course that they need to be also in line that producer also has that, let's say, not all the knowledge, but some of the knowledge today is very key to every element in the in the game. So, for example, the core, meta, uh, audio, analytics, everything that comes together. In uh, So then a producer needs to know that if something affects somewhere else, so how that will be affecting uh, in another area of the production. And of course, even that we have been trying that uh, when we are getting larger and larger teams, so from 60 people internally, and then you have outsourcing partners and doing art or QA and localizations and these kind of things. So then you have a couple of hundred people doing different, different things. So then, of course, yet again, a producer needs to be on top of thing, even that he would be, he or she would be owning kind of a pot. So for example, I would be like, uh, only on the content side, but then I need to understand also that how the content will be affecting in the other other ports or other departments or stakeholders at the same time, so that everything comes into line. Of course, in the bigger project, then the, who is the kind of a lead producer? So uh, how is that affecting in the kind of 
the whole project and how that one game is going to be in line with the full portfolio of that company. But I would say that line management is very important for producer in every state. Feels like, and it's not very surprising that uh, we're judging party here, right? Because <laughs> it's a producer talking to producers and agreeing that producers should lead the, the, the devs. I'm always wanting to play the devil's advocate here and saying, well, when would be the best time when a producer, you know, shouldn't have these kind of things. And I, and I, I'm thinking, <clears throat> it's probably trying to figure out why do people want to be managing others, right? Um, there's no, no, no shying away. Then there's probably some power play somewhere, right? It's the fact that you know, the more you manage people, the more important you feel. There's probably, you know, um, uh, a good ego kind of, I would say, situation, but. It's also interesting to say that the the good point that you always can say is, producer would not know what a great concept artist is supposed to deliver, or what a good animator is good at, or what a great audio programmer should be doing. Right. That being said, it's not necessarily the line manager that does that, and that's that's where you can actually bring this, you know, this metrics organization where disciplines, you know, you've got groups of disciplines, and the leads have their, you know, own latitude to train to encourage to create discipline spirits across different projects and again it's probably maybe we're all working in companies that have multiple projects therefore you need some sort of matrix if you're on one project then it's it's even simpler but i think there's there's um there's a sense that is quite crucial for disciplines to don't feel not to feel isolated from each other right that they 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 basically feed from each other's progress from each other's motivation whether you do vfx lighting level design, you will basically want to sit with your colleagues to say, well, I'm doing this, what do you think? But for the project, it's less important than to make sure that they do the good game together. Yeah, Aaron, I think you want to stop me from speaking. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. No, um, just to, to wrap it up um, now, Eduardo, that question was fantastic. Everyone's insights, again, was absolutely amazing on that. So um, thank you, everyone, um, for being a part of the podcast today. Before we actually end, um, I just want to say a big thanks uh, to all the guests. So Eduardo, Eric, Marcus and Michelle, thank you very much uh, for being a part of this and sharing your valuable insights with the community. Before we do leave, though, um, I am going to go around the room and ask for key takeaways on the actual topic itself. So starting with you, Eduardo, what is your key take home or key takeaway on what makes a great producer in each stage of production? Mm, yeah, so it's nice to be the one starting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think um, I think the main thing um, or uh, uh, a key insight is that, yes, the role does change. Um, and a, a great producer for the initial stages might not be a great producer for the live stage. But there are a few things that stay true, right? Um, and then no matter where you're at, if you're the early concept concept stage or if you're in pre-prod or prod, whatever it may be, uh, the facilitation of decision-making probably stays almost as your main focus. And if you focus on that, you probably get a long way. Uh, so I would say that no matter which stage of production, if you're supporting the team to make uh, good decisions or making good decisions yourself based on data gathered from the teams, from the you know subject matter experts, etc., then uh, you're you're uh, you're doing a good job, let's say, as a producer. That's, Amazing. Uh, yep. And uh, Michelle, um, same question to yourself. What's your key takeaway? For me, the a really great takeaway was the analogy about the the orchestra director. For sure, I'm buying myself a seat and little bit with the directors so you should when they come to our decisions. From now on, that's my takeaway <laughs> from this one. Uh, no, but I, I really like the uh, the conversations on all the topics. I think it was nice to talk about the differences of the production in the you know free to play, interpaid, old school boxed uh, product uh, uh, business models, and also think about uh, is this really that the producers need to 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 manage people, or is it just our overblown ego, which is uh, forcing us to, to push for this. Yeah. And there are, there are a lot of egos in production, right? So that's... Amazing, amazing stuff. Um, Marcus, moving on to yourself, your key takeaway or key take home, what would that be? Yeah, I 
heard so many many great stories here already but then of course that it's very clear that producer needs to be very adaptive so then and the change is the only thing that is constant so every project is always a different so and it always comes to down to people so supporting the great people that are in your team so then and that they can do their best work but the, and be adaptive awesome amazing and lastly eric what's your key takeaway i'm wanting to say i'm wanting to mimic marcus i'm not going to say the orchestra director because i'm going to reuse this uh, i've been using it for years and there's plenty of things coming on that front but marcus is right i think probably the biggest thing about producer as we started with but as we concluded as is you know probably none of us is doing the same thing on the daily basis right it's a very pretty form role where depending on which company depending on which project depending on the stage of that project depending on who you work with depending on the methodology that you have the tools you have it's, it's never going to be the same right so i love the fact that marcus is saying change is the only constant that's true and i think that would be my takeaway if you're a producer if you want to become a great producer you need to adapt you need to to assess the situation and make the best in that situation it's not an exact science but it's also not an absolute so that would be my takeaway amazing thank you very much everyone and once again uh, everyone's guest today has been eric eduardo marcus and michelle um, and apart from that, if you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role yourself, please feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you know anyone that would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Aaron and you can find me on LinkedIn. But thank you again to all of our guests and thank you for listening.